I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. In this episode of the podcast, I'm talking with Singaporean designer Nathan Yong in regards to his Discovered project in collaboration with the American Hardwood Export Council, which has been exhibited at the Design Museum in London. And also about a recent project called Life Cycles, which will be displayed in Singapore in 2022. Nathan, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So today we're going to talk about your collaboration with the American Hardwood Export Council and um, the Life Cycles collection that you've created together. Um, Before we start talking about that, I wanted to just briefly introduce who the American Hardwood Export Council are, for anyone that may not know. And I'm going to call them AHEC from now on, just for ease of... um, of saying that whole name. So AHEC is a trade organisation from um, the, who represent the US hardwood industry and they represent the interests of growers and exporters of American timber species to over 50 export markets. Uh, they run programs to promote American species and concentrate on helping architects, specifiers and designers to make informed choices about the materials that they use. Uh, AHEC runs creative design projects, such as the one that we're going to be discussing today with Nathan, in order to demonstrate the potential uh, of this sustainable raw material and to provide inspiration and a choice rationale for those considering using timber in their work. So without further ado, actually before we start talking about the Life Cycles collection, I actually first wanted to talk to you a bit about a collaboration between you and AHEC earlier this year called Discovered. Um, and you were asked by them to mentor five designers from across Southeast Asia. So I want to talk to you a bit about that and um, if you could tell us a bit about the goals and the outcomes that were planned as a part of that initiative. Right. Um, I think I was invited to be the mentor because uh, I think I've accumulated about 20 years of designing furniture and I think for the last... 15 years I've been dealing with a lot of wood. I started with uh, teak wood, but at some point I think that it's quite not very regulated in some, some way. So I switched to American hardwood, uh, predominantly oak and walnut uh, for the last 10 years. Um, so I've been doing with uh, wood design and selling to the US, UK market for, for quite some time. And then I've started to teach around four years ago. So I think that kind of makes me able to guide the young, fresher designers on um, how to work with solid wood and able to have a more of nurturing uh, process. Because most designers, when they came out designing something, they don't know much about how to communicate with the factories. Because when you talk to the factories, a lot is about the engineering and the um, the cost and uh, most factory tries to do as as fast and as simple as possible. So you need to kind of guide the fresh designers how to communicate with the um, 
manufacturers and also how to design a way that it can be manufactured um, within a certain limit. And hence, I think I'm invited to be part of the mentor. Yeah, it sounds like you're in a pretty unique position to be mentoring in that I, I, case. I think it's about the right time, yeah. yeah. Because I know AHEC about 15 years ago, there have been trade shows, and I've seen they've exhibited you know, promoting their wood and all that. Um, yeah, and I think this is the right time that I'm asked to kind of help out to guide the designers, yeah. So can you tell us who the designers are that you're working with? I think there's five of them from around the region. So I got two Thai, one Vietnamese, one Chinese and one Singaporean. So I think they're about the age of 25 uh, average. Um, four ladies, one guy. Um, I've really? just started to, to, to provide consultation uh, last week, the first one. And I am also briefed them about what is the strategy in coming up with something that's interesting. So I did kind of privately tell them that, you know, we need to speak the Asian language in our product. Um, so that when it's shared to the world, people can tell that, you know, this is from Vietnam, this is from... It, has, it got to have some originality or, or, or authenticity in how it, it looks or, or, or the reason behind um, the design. So I actually asked them to research on their visceral surrounding, take pictures of uh, anything, be it a construction site or, or the market whatsoever, get a glimpse of the colours, the smell and the sound, and, and then how we start from there. Mm. Yeah. And so how is that? And I got no idea how you end up, but it's always my approach. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. How has that process of mentoring been for you, um, considering the context of this year, working with such young designers? And I think you sort of alluded before the role of mentorship, particularly with furniture design and, and how, uh, you know, the, the role of a designer and how they work with factories and manufacturing. How has that all been for you this year, <laughs> considering COVID and uh, social distancing? And have the factories actually even been open for you to visit? How has that all worked? No, so the factories, uh, it's in Malaysia, so it's tough to visit. Uh, but I've worked with this factory for the last 15 years, so I know about uh, their way of working and the quality. And uh, I've been developing products that I don't really need to be there. So we can do by, I mean, in the past we do Skype, but nowadays we use Zoom. And um, we also use WhatsApp, so it's like a 24-hour thing. Um, yeah, I think technology right now seems like you don't really need to travel far and the shipping cost is pretty affordable right now. So they can send a sample back and forth, you change a bit and then send it back there. Uh, it's still manageable at this moment and I think that might be the new norm that we may not need to travel so far to product develop anymore because we can use our, our, our mobile gadgets to communicate nowadays. So I think with COVID, it pushes us to get out of our comfort zone and everything seems fine right now. Like we're getting accustomed to all this technology and um, so everything's, uh, in fact, I think it might be better. Yeah, yeah. It's a new norm and we have to get used to it. And it, I mean, for me, I, I'm like pretty old school and <laughs> it really forces me to you know, download Zoom and have all these cameras here and there, um, yeah, uh, I think it's part of evolution that we have to change, yeah. Mm. 
And I'm curious to know whether you found there were any differences in the way that the designers were working from across each of the countries that they're from. Did you sort of see any obvious differences there or were they all kind of approaching their work in a fairly similar way? So far I've spoke to two, I haven't speak to the other three. So one is Singaporean and one is uh, Thailand. So I got a sense of uh, it really is uh, there's identity in their nationalistic, I mean, where they come from. And Singaporeans tend to be very logical and systematic and, you know, and then the Thai is a bit kind of free-spirited and uh, relaxed and all that. And and that's great. I hope that will come out in their annual product. And and as I started with them, I told them, you have to be yourself, be authentic. And I think the Thai is really like chill, the way she presents, the ideas that she wants to do. And then compared to a Singaporean, it's more rigid, it's more efficiency, which is fine. Yeah. yeah I thought that's great. Interesting. And had these young designers worked with Timber much uh, previous to this project? Mm. Not really in the sense of the, the, the actual skill of it, because when we, this project is about designing, for example, a chair, a table that is meant for at least able to, to fit the industry standards. That means it must be producible and, or batch, at least batch produced. It cannot be a one-off. I mean, so I think most designers don't have a lot of chance to produce things that is batches or in, in, in container loads. And uh, there are difference between designing one piece bespoke and designing for 10 pieces or 100 pieces. So I think these five designers don't have the experience to design for a, a, a kind of mass production standardization uh, method of, of, of production. So um, there will be a lot of things I need to tell them that, you know, uh, because there's no scale, you need to design it in a more efficient way. But at the end of the day, you can't kill the, the, the main uh, creativity. So it, there's a lot of back and forth most mm. of the time. Yeah, mm. I mean, they can't be going all out because in the end, this thing needs to be able to, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it needs to be able to produce. It cannot be just one artistic piece. Um, so in a way, the, the, the approach of design has to be kind of contained Mm. So I believe that the designers are working solely with three species, which are American maple, red oak and cherry, specifically because these species apparently represent 40% of the growing stocks in US forests and are an underutilised, or they're, they're all underutilised species. Can you tell us a little bit about each, how each of the designers is working with those species, whether they're all working with each three or if they've made a selection of one out of the three that they wanted to concentrate on? At this point, we haven't reached the point of choosing what is the wood. I think the first approach is more about how their design is going to react to post-pandemic. So that was the idea that they're trying to seed up first before they talk about whether they want the materials to be oak or maple or cherry. So at this point, it's not inside the intention of whether they want to use what kind of wood. But at some point, we'll be talking about what wood will suit it better, or there can be a combination of materials in one object. So uh, we haven't looked at that issues at this point. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I think we will be obviously pushing the use of tree woods. So some designers might be just totally in maple, 
or some might be a mix of maple and cherry. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Mm, I look forward to seeing the results. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about now your second collaboration with AHEC, which is the, um, the Life Cycles collection, which I mentioned previously. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what the brief to you was from AHEC about creating the collection? So the brief was quite open, actually. They're like, look, Nathan, can you do something? And I kind of start thinking about, well, should I just do beautiful pieces of furniture or it should be more than that? Because the approach was to be more um, uh, inf- informative about hardwood, about this, the, how we farm it and how it's sustainable in how the, the US farmers are controlling the, um, the, the lodging of the trees. So there's a lot of educational value to it rather than just, oh, this is beautiful wood, let's use this for your project. Um, we also want to convey that, um, yeah, as, as I said, we also want to convey that um, th- the wood has been recorded, has been farmed, and it's gone to a certain maturity before we cut it and all that. So all in all, I, I, I told them that I want to create pieces that brought people to think about why is the design that way? Why, why is Nathan using maple in this part and not cherry? Why does it look like awkward? Like is, I mean, so, so immediately I came to a conclusion that I wanted to be a constructivism-led uh, a project in a sense of I want people to be involved in questioning when they look at the uh, furniture and not just it's a beautiful piece. It has to be, well, it's beautiful but it's kind of weird but why is it weird? Oh, because it's a mix of wood. Or why is this piece in this section smaller than... Because by and large, um, it also started with... I used to visit factories, and I always see the workers kind of DIY the stools that they sat on, or the chair, and most of the time they use off-cut pieces. And then they kind of nail or glue or strap it around. And that that pieces to me is quite artistic because it's really like a reaction to what we have right now and what we're going to do with it. So in a way, it's very, uh, it's a very constructivist kind of way of thinking. And so my form is inspired by that randomness of putting things together. So there's a mix, mix and match of round, circles, squares, rectangular profiles. And uh, so it looks very sculptural and uh, it's, it's inspired by... Um, factories who put all the leftover together. So in that sense, my pieces come with uh, the oak, the maple and the cherry, and then it comes in different shapes, uh, very sculptural. And I think people will look at it not like, oh, it's a very commercial viable bath too, but why is it done this way? So all in all, I think it lets people think about what they see rather than consume it blindly. Mm. So that was the, the gist of the uh, brief okay. that came up. So I, I want to go back to this this notion of social constructivism. Could you explain um, what that actually means for anyone listening that may not have heard that term before? So in academia, uh, started in about uh, late 19th century, uh, it is theory that posit learners as active participants in the contribution and construction of new knowledge. The reflective learner builds and incorporates new information into pre-existing schemas via a participatory process. So um, as it proliferated in 1915 into an artistic and architectonic movement, 
Its abstract and often austere aesthetics sought to reflect the characteristics of society, which is then modern, honest, and humble assemblage of industrial materials, finishes, and details. The movement rejects ornate decorative embellishment and wielded its art and architecture as a means to communicate agendas for contemplation and reflection. And hence, I thought it's the more and more suitable for this project because post-COVID, we are all more self-aware of our environment. And uh, with these new challenges, you know, the pandemic, I think a lot of us tend to reevaluate what we have consumed, what we have damaged. And I thought American Hardwood would be a good position to inform architects, designers about what we do for the hardwood. You know, we, we take responsibility, how it's grown, how it's being cut, at what age. And, and hence, I think the whole thing is about informing the, the consumer in the sense about how um, AHEC is responsible in taking care of the, the forestry post-COVID, post-pandemic. And I thought this whole um, constructivism movement is very apt for this project. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was really fascinated when I read that. I, I don't know that I've ever really heard of a designer being inspired by uh, an academic sort of theory um, to create a, a, a furniture collection. So I'm, I'm really curious about the, you know, the, the literal translation of that. You know, how, do you, how does a designer, how do you kind of take that idea and then literally translate that into furniture pieces? How, how did yeah. that process even start? I wish I can kind of show the listeners right now. <laughs> I'll show you later. But um, the furniture uh, in this collection seeks to reflect such a narrative that pragmatism yields simple, honest beauty. The collection beckons the user to probe, question the austere yet humble application of material, which is wood, uh, and the typical aesthetic and proportions for each design. Each piece invites the viewer to ponder the meaning behind the furniture and doing so to participate in contextualizing its purpose and the meaning within, uh, the meaning within a space. The mildly ambiguous nature of the aesthetics draws the viewer to engage with the furniture, and this in turn creates a dialogue between the subject, object, and space. Um, a very much participatory kind of experience. Mm, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think so. I thought so too. Yeah, I can't wait to see the real pieces. I mean, the renderings look beautiful. Um, I want to go back to the timber species again and find out about how much of the, the, the actual materiality, uh, you know, influenced the, the final outcome and the final design of the pieces. So uh, I know that, uh, I mean, within th these three species, uh, the, the, the red oak is uh, the strongest. Okay. Uh, so most of my frames are, I'm using, like, uh, the oak because it has the most structural strength. And a uh, maple is a softer wood and uh, in smaller pieces. So I use it as an accent. Um, uh, um, uh, it's not decorative, it's, it's like an accent, uh, accent structure to hold the oak together. And then the cherry, um, again, I've kind of like uh, used it as part of a, uh, I don't know how to mention it, like um, certain parts that don't take that much of a stress. I use cherry and maple wood in that sense. Mm. Yeah. And so does the process for you start with sketching ideas for form or are you quite hands-on with the materials? Are you sort of, you know, actually playing around with them and, and kind of having a very real 
uh, tactile sense of what their inherent properties are? We, you know, or is it a bit of both? Oh, it started in the mind and the brain. Like, once you get the project, you get a brief, you kind of like construct it in your mind. Before you sleep, you keep thinking about it. And most of my designs are created in my head before I put it down. Um, the playing of it, I think, at about my age right now, 20 years of experience, I more or less can grab um, the engineering part and also the stability of it. So I did make, I mean, after I conceptualized the whole uh, design, I did make paper model um, 3D printing to test out the stability. But again, because I don't have a chance to go to Malaysia, um, I can only explain it to the engineer over the Malaysia site, showing them the 3D models and the paper models. And then we have to, we have to communicate based on the experience, whether it be stable now, structurally strong. And then uh, we are about to go to production right now. And I think we probably able to get 80% of it correct. And then we'll see how it goes for the next sample. So we always try to make about two samples. And uh, hopefully we get it right on the first sample. Mm. Most of the time we get it right on the first sample. Yeah. I guess that's what happens with experience. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that's why I'm asked to be the, the, the mentor, because you kind of able to cut short the, 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 the whole screw-up process and all that. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. So aside from wanting people to question, uh, it seems like a number of things by looking at the furniture collection, uh, is, is there a, p a particular emotional response that you would like to elicit from them? Anyone that's actually looking at the furniture or perhaps actually able to experience it and use it? Yeah, because um, the whole thing looked very quirky or uncomfortable. And I hope that when people try to sit on it or, 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 or slip on it, they're able to, to experience, hey, it's actually quite comfortable, right? Even without much comfort, it's about also how comfort you want to be. Um, because it's not just your typical furniture. It's a, it's a furniture that speaks to you. It's a two-sided kind of communication, rather than I need this chair, I need to sit on it now, and I don't care about this chair. So, so I hope the user are able to kind of question themselves uh, uh, the, the idea behind the design, uh, or our design. Is our design always about comfort? Is the design always about me, 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 the user? Or we should give some respect to the object because it's made by wood, which is once alive, I know, or still alive, and be in this form, it's still trying to communicate and provide certain narrative to whoever that uses it. So in the sense, the dynamic is not one-sided. It's not one-sided consumption, but it's also a, 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 a kind of communication between two sides, between object and the user, in the sense, yeah. So I hope the user um, will, in the end, respect I mean, it sounds like a grand plan, but they do respect nature and they do respect objects. It's not always about you, but the objects are there, the industries are there, the people that's producing it, the designers that are doing it, you know, the whole AHEC, you know, that is uh, uh, always trying to push for sustainability in the industry. And it gives you this particular chair. So it's not just a chair, mm. there's a lot of other things behind it. Do you think maybe people have become a lot more aware of 
the material and the consumption and production and energy usage that goes into producing something, do you think we're more aware of that now because of what we're going through or do you think the sustainability side of things has become maybe pushed to, to one side while we deal with, <laughs> you know, the pandemic crisis as opposed to the climate crisis? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, do you mean because of pandemic, people are kind of shifting their concern to... Well, yeah, I wonder if that's one side or whether we've just forgotten about the climate crisis because we're too wrapped up in the pandemic. I feel like maybe there might be a bit of both, but I wondered whether you had any thoughts on that. Well, I hope it's both. I think it's more of an uh, existential question right now. Mm. I mean, the pandemic started with the animals and the animals getting out of their uh, habitat. And that might be how we encroach into their living space and how we use the natural uh, materials from their habitat. And I think everything is tied up as a cycle and it's all interconnected. So all the more, I think, in such time, people are more uh, self-aware of what they're doing, what's the meaning uh, of, of, of all of this. Um, I hope and I think it's the same one, yeah, that it's an existential question, the sustainability, the, 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 uh, the what do you call it, the green issues, and then the pandemic. It seems like it's the end of the world, and uh, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's, a, it's the same thing, it's the whole thing, yeah. And I think it stems from a lot of uh, overconsumption. Yeah, and um, I think it's really a good time um, for us to reevaluate a lot of things. And hence, I thought this project, uh, Life Cycles, is not just about sustainability in wood, but also in how we, as a, as a being, able to live with our environment in a cohesive and sustainable way. So do you think that that, that messaging was uh, something that you were very conscious of that you wanted to try and incorporate into the designs and into the collection? Was it something that you wanted to communicate as well through the pieces of furniture, a, a message of sustainability in for, some way? For this collection? Yeah. Yeah, because um, if you look at the pieces, it seems like it's constructed from waste, like bits and pieces put together. Mm. So, And at the same time, it looks beautiful and it's functional. So in a way, it's able to tell people that, look, you don't have to cut from a one big chunk to create design. You can get off pieces to create wonderful pieces because they're honest and they're authentic. And again, this started off with, I went to a lot of factories and the workers just take what they have and they weld it and they just sat on it while they're operating a machines. So it's a very honest approach without much uh, hypocrisy and all that. And, and I thought that's a good values. I mean, some people might see it as an ugly thing or don't even care about how it looks, but for me, it looks just beautiful because it's so genuine in, 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 in the effort of what they want to achieve, yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, to me, it reminds me a bit of... It feels like a bit of a Bauhaus. Um, mm. that, that's one of the uh, inspirations that I, I guess I kind of get just by looking at it, but it's really great to hear the, the other stories behind the inspiration. Um, I, I also wanted to ask you about the experience of incorporating, I think you alluded to it a little bit earlier, the life cycle assessment um, of the timber. 
And I wanted to I wanted to hear about your experience of doing that and whether it's the first time you've done that or whether that's something that you've tried to do or, in, or incorporate into your work for some time now. How was... For uh, the, the idea behind this life cycle? Yeah, the life cycle assessment of the timber. So I guess that whole documentation um, part of the process. Was this the first time you've done that for a yeah, collection? Yeah, it's my first time to kind of record the whole process, how much energy is using, how much wood is using. It's my first time, yeah. And, and did you find it relatively straightforward? Is it something that you're keen to then incorporate into future projects or was it, you know, laborious and... <laughs> um, yeah, it's a bit laborious and... Uh, but I think it's a good knowledge to, to start right now and I would probably understand next time if I do a chair, how much energy or wood it consumes, if I'm doing it right now. Mm. So at least there is certain knowledge about how much I'm contributing or not contributing to anything at all. Mm. Um, so I'm glad that uh, I'm doing this and, and get to know how much energy or wood, how much carbon footprint is being used to produce, let's say, a bath stool, so that I know the real impact of it. But before I get to do this, this whole process of uh, documenting how, uh, how much energy or how much I'm using, I actually always design things that can last much longer time. I've never been a fan of a use and throw culture. Um, I've questioned myself through my profession about how green am I? And I've always been asked by the media about how sustainable, the, uh, sustainable in your design process. And I always think about, well, is this responsible of the designer or the client? Because this designer is just a small part of the whole business. And I always think that it is the consumer that has to react and demand that it has to be before the businessman take that route of, of being sustainable. Um, but so what I do is that I always design things that last longer so that it takes a longer time for you to change to a new piece uh, in this way you allow for example the trees to grow right you don't cut them up when they're young and then you keep you overcut them and all these things so I always design my things that is it's durable and consumer can use for the next 10 20 years and not like every three or four years they have to change. So in that way, I think sustainable because you, you allow a longer time for the, 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 the resources to recover. Yeah, so that's, well, you can say it's the, the minimum I can do or mm. it's the right way of doing it, I, I don't know, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question, I think, like who, who, who uh, where the responsibility lies for, uh, you know, the future of the planet and whether it is with the consumer or the designer or the manufacturer or the brands or, you know, government perhaps even. Maybe it's everyone. Yeah. Um, it's a business. Business services, government's legislations passed down and then the consumer have to demand this is what we need. Um, the cost might be higher at first, but then it become norm. And all these changes will affect a lot of people at some point. And do each and every one of us take that responsible or rather than just pointing hey it's a businessman hey it's a designer because I consciously I'm a person that is I, I don't waste like I, I don't use a lot of tissue papers I, I use 
oh, I don't think people use handkerchief anymore. <laughs> I use handkerchief. Really? Yeah. And <laughs> if I use a tissue paper, I recycle it. I let it keep cleaning it up, you know, and I don't waste a lot of water. And it's not just a kind of bandwagon that you jump into. It's, it's just when I'm young, I'm, I'm raised that way. Mm. So maybe education to the, to the young is the, also the most important thing yeah. about saving. Yeah. Actually, I was going to ask you about that. Are you hopeful for the, the younger generation? Do you think that they're already maybe more aware than we are of the, yeah. you know, the sort of perilous situation that we're in and the responsibilities that we all have to, yeah, even just reducing the amount of consumption and waste that we all... I hope it's a younger generation that going to the to the future they are the business owner and they are more conscious when they are doing any sort of businesses that they don't leave a lot of carbon footprint or they have a sustainable uh, anger in their businesses and all that and, and then they implement it into the whole process of uh, production or systems so that the designers or whoever follow that, that method. Mm. Um, so I'm hoping the future, the, the, the current youth will be a responsible future businessman in the future. Mm. Yeah. It's a lot of weight or, that we've or, got or, on or their shoulders. Or, or politicians. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I'm always hopeful. Yeah. And, and, and I think that even if it doesn't work, uh, we'll still be fine. <laughs> you sound very optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> and I think human is, is a very tough animal. Like, and we are very creative. Mm. And we always find ways to survive. And what is uncomfortable for you right now might be normal, uh, normal for the next generation. Mm. And for us, we'll be like, oh, you know, it was such good times in the 50s. I don't see you guys enjoying life right now, but we're like, we're fine. Yeah. And then the next 30 years later, the generation might be like complaining, you know, we're fine right now, but then they are fine later. I think everything always balances out. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think the, <laughs> the pandemic has shown how resourceful and... Yeah. You see, it's mother nature. It's just sprinkle something and you're back to square one. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Um, I'm curious, actually, to, just to go back to the furniture collection, are, are they being produced in the same factory in Malaysia or are they being made somewhere else? Yeah, they're produced in the same factory. Okay, so you have not been able to see these in production or the prototyping process in no. real life either? So they are about to produce right now and uh, it should be ready in January and hopefully I can visit by January. Okay. Yeah. Gosh, that's such an unusual experience. I mean, I can't imagine what it must be like to be working with someone over Zoom and looking at uh, prototypes and talking about drawings and, and 3D models. Yeah, um, it's always different when you work on a scale and the different materials trying to um, assimilate the, the real pieces. It's always different because of the scale. But hopefully with experience, uh, I'm able to get it right most mm. of the time, yeah. So, I mean, even though you have these decades of experience and are in a, a position to be able to even mentor younger designers, I, I'm curious to know what you feel like you've learnt through all of this, even if it's just about a couple of new timber species, um, whether it's production or even just technology due to the pandemic. What, if, what will you walk away from this collaboration with? I think I only know the answer once it's exhibited. <laughs> And I'm there talking to the visitors or the architects who look at the items. Uh, I'm really curious about what they will learn from seeing it. And I think what they learn will be what, what, what I will be taking away uh, from this whole project. I, I'm not saying that you know, these projects are guinea pigs to, 
to, to see how people react. But I think uh, it would be a good answer for me uh, to see whether such um, communication works about using design to communicate certain issues. And it's not about just consumerism, it's not about just buying a beautiful chair, but how does that object able to uh, change someone? Um, I would like to see the impact or what does the architect feel and think about this whole thing? Would it change their practice maybe? I don't know. Mm. Yeah, so I think the answer will be uh, much later. Yeah. Do you think your choice of materials in the future will be somewhat different given what you've learned from the experience of working with Ahek and, and learning about the different timber species? Will you continue to sort of work with them in understanding that better? Yeah, so I've been using uh, predominantly oak uh, for the last uh, decade. I haven't been using cherry and maple much, but that is because of the, uh, the market demands. Uh, but I personally love cherry wood. Yeah, but again, um, I mean, design is a, is a business field and we have to depend on what the consumer wants. Uh, so I'm, I'm open to it. I, I love all kinds of materials, not just wood. Um, it depends on whether there's an opportunity to try out with different woods or different materials. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing the pieces in real life. Oh, the, me too. The renderings look amazing <laughs> and, uh, and I really do love the story behind the collection and the collaboration. So thank you. It's really been great to see you again and thank to you, catch Susie. up in the, in the middle of <laughs> everything that's going on. It was a miracle for me to get yeah. to Singapore. But, uh, but it's a good experience. Ten years from now, we'll be like, you know, reminiscing about what we did during the COVID time and we have a good laugh. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I think at the moment it's too soon and it's a Do bit you remember too the year we have to wear masks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could only have groups of two in a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> you get caught. Yeah. You have more than five. Yeah. yeah, I agree. But in the meantime, please stay safe and well and uh, I hope to see you again soon. Yeah, you too, Susie. Thanks, Thanks for having me.